Again, happy 4th of July weekend. We are so glad you're with us this morning. Today we are beginning a brand new series of messages that I think you're going to really enjoy. If if any of you ever question someone's idea of what a verse in the Bible really means, have you ever had someone who has just kind of quoted a verse to try to make you feel better in a situation and you've wondered, is that what that verse is really even all about? Maybe, maybe someone in your life has done that. Maybe you've done that at times. You've quoted a verse of the Bible and you've, you know, you've mentioned it and someone's looked at you and said, why are you saying that? that isn't, that's not what that Bible verse means. Well, through this series, what we're going to do is we're going to take some of the most popular verses of the Bible, some of the ones you've no doubt heard many, many times in your life, and we're going to peel, peel this back a little bit and we're going to see what these scriptures really mean, what God on what God is trying to communicate to us in those verses. Because I believe that just as you and I can be misunderstood sometimes, no matter how hard we try to communicate, I believe God is misunderstood sometimes as well. So here's what we're going to do. In the first three weeks of this series, we're going to take three of the, most, three of the four most famous verses of the Bible... And we're going to look and see how they're misunderstood by many people today. Any, any idea what the most famous verse of the Bible is? You want to give, I want to give a guess. John 3.16, yes. It's, hung, it's held up in football games. It's hard to miss, right? How about the second most famous verse in the Bible? No. No? <laughs> That's a short one. It's easy to remember. It's actually the verse we're looking at today. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. When, when, when Google does their, uh, their analytics, they find that more people search for Jeremiah 29, 11 than any verse in the Bible except for John 3, 16. And Jeremiah 29, 11 says this. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Now, I bet a lot of you this morning have that verse somewhere in your homes. Maybe it's on a plaque on your wall. It's in a pillow that's hand-stitched by Nana from years ago. Right? One person, I was, as I was coming in this morning, had a bracelet on with Jeremiah 29. I said, I wear this bracelet every single day. I have for years. It, this is a verse that you see on greeting cards all the time. In fact, graduation cards is on almost every Christian graduation card you can imagine. For I know the plans I have for you. In fact, I was at a, a, a Christian school graduation here in town just last month, and each one of the students who were graduating, they were asked to, to give their life verse so they could be shown on the screen. And I, I, I lost count at how many of the students actually used this verse as their life verse. Jeremiah 29, 11. Now, Jeremiah 29, 11 is the name of more than 100 Facebook communities. Yes, I checked. It's, it's a, the name of over a dozen religious organizations, over si- at least six businesses, according to Google. Five bands are named Jeremiah 29, 11. Two clothing lines are named Jeremiah 29, 11. There's a jewelry store. There's a mime. There's a fashion consultant named Jeremiah 29, 11. And th- my personal favorite... One guy used it in his marriage proposal, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you. <laughs> Pretty good, right? A recent USA Today article said Vice President Pence regularly quotes this verse all the time. It's framed over his mantle in the vice president's home, uh, and it has been ever since he's been there. 
I mean, what's not to like about this verse, right? It sounds like a wonderful promise from God, a promise of prosperity, a promise of success and protection and hope for a great future. It looks like a promise that guarantees success to whatever you set out to do in your life and to get, out, and to get you out of anything that might potentially harm you in this life. But is that really what this verse is all about? You know, a, a, the day before I sat down to write, begin write, writing this message a couple of weeks ago, one of you here at Grace actually emailed me. I was shocked because you emailed me about this specific verse. It, this person was asking, what does this verse really mean? It, this is what the guy here at Grace said. He said, I've always been a bit frustrated by the prevalent use of Jeremiah 29, 11, Pastor. I think there are things we can learn about God from this, but it's been boiled down to a cute greeting card verse, which sounds great on its own, but ultimately is used to convey a message that may be false, I think. Does God actually have a plan to prosper each of us and keep us from harm? And is that a viable promise to everyone? That's a good question. I want to encourage you this morning. Let's see what God has to say about this, and let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah 29, and again, as Chris was telling us just a few minutes ago, um, rather than going to gracetucson.org slash Bible, from now on, you can just go to mygrace.church. You'll find the little sermon uh, notes tab there, and you can follow along with the online sermon notes today or the, the sheet that's in your program this morning to follow, to, to, and see the scriptures there. Now, before we read and dig into this verse, let me say something that is really important, and this is going to set up this whole series This is something we need to look at each and every week, and that is about context. You see, there's this common tendency that we as Christians have. I fall into this trap, and I bet you have at times as well, where we read Scripture, and we just are reading it through the lens of our own lives, or we think every good promise in this book has to do with me. Now, we don't always do that. We don't, in fact, we don't do that at all with the verses that are promising judgment or adversity, right? And we've kind of, like, well, those were for the other people in the past. But the good stuff, oh, that, that's all for me. And I think sometimes we do that with verses like Jeremiah 29, 11. The only way to know if a verse of the Bible actually applies to us is to actually look at it in context, to look at the greater story, the greater section or chapter that the verse is in, and to see what God was saying in that time, and to see if it was something for people of all time or for people of that specific time in history. So let's look at this verse again and see what we find. Jeremiah 29. I'm going to go back starting at verse 10, and we're going to read the verses on either side of this, verse 11. Listen to this. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. But then I will come and do for you all the good things I promised. And I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look wholeheartedly for me, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you, and I will bring you home again to your own land. Now, we just read the verses around verse 11, but to get the full context of what this 
verse 11 is all about. Really what you need to do is at a minimum read chapters 28 and 29 of Jeremiah as well as the last two chapters in the book of 2 Kings. What that does is that sets a framework for you for what this whole thing is about. But in the, rather than reading to you all four of those chapters here this morning and, and losing, track, losing you, I'm going to just kind of give you a synopsis of what's, what's happening here. This is about 600 years before the time of Jesus. What's, what, what has just happened before this passage takes place, before it is actually written, is there's this evil king in Judah named Jehoiakim who has been yanked out of his kingdom by this Babylonian king named Nebuchadnezzar for not paying his taxes to, the, to this king of Babylon. And then, Jehoi, then uh, Bab, this Babylonian king puts his son Jehoiakim in his place, 18 years old. He follows in dad's footsteps. Babylonian king yanks him out as well. Sticks another guy in, in power. And in the midst of this, Jeremiah writes a letter. This let, Jeremiah chapter 29 is a letter that this prophet of God writes to these kings that are in exile in Babylon now. And pretty much all of the nation who have been carted off from Judah as slaves into Babylon. Now imagine what these kings and what these people must be thinking as they arrive in Babylon. They realize, uh-oh, we screwed up, right? God was calling us. God was using prophets for decades to try to get our attention. We were completely ignoring everything God had to say. We thought our ideas were best. And now look at the situation we're in. This is a moment where these people are looking, grasping at straws, looking for any little glimmer of hope they can find, right? I mean, if you were in their situation, wouldn't you, wouldn't you be looking for a little bit of hope? And so what's happening during this time as they're arriving in Babylon and they've been here for a little while is these false prophets start rising up and they're saying, God gave me a word to speak to you. And every one of those words, guess what? They were full of hope. They were full of promise. They were saying things like, God says you'll only be here for a few more days, a few weeks, a few months tops, and this whole mess will be over. There was a guy in Jeremiah 28 named Hananiah, another false prophet, who was saying, it will, God, thus says the Lord, you'll only be here for two years in this mess, and God will get you out of here. God starts speaking to Jeremiah and says to him, you need to call him out and all these other false prophets out because they're not going to be here for a few weeks or months. They're not going to be here for two years. They're going to be here for quite a while. When Jeremiah gives them this letter, these exiles in Babylon, Jeremiah is not telling them what they want to hear. Their ears aren't tickled with verse 11, let me promise you. They learn that God doesn't bless us and do whatever we want him to do like some genie in a bottle whenever we ask. God's plans for our lives aren't always what we want. And there are, we don't always understand God's plans at times. But God's plans, this is what I want you to come away with this morning. God's plans can always be trusted. Sometimes we ask things of God and we, we're just convinced we know what's best for our lives. And God doesn't give us those things. And we have to trust God knows what's best for our lives. God sees the full picture when all we see is what's right in front of us. Now, I'm just going to apologize in advance, I'm going to burst some of your bubbles this morning around Jeremiah 29, verse 11. 
If you need to throw vegetables, please just hold them at least until we're done this morning. I'm not asking you by the time we're done, I'm not asking you to uh, take your plaques down off your walls. But I do want you to truly understand what this verse is about. And trust me, when you understand what this verse is truly about, you're not going to want to claim this verse for yourself. Now, there are three quick reasons I'm going to give you why that's the case. Number one, this verse and all the verses around it were written by God or given by God to a specific nation, Judah, at a specific time in history. This isn't passages for everyone of all time. It was written... I mean, if you look at verse 4, if you have your Bible slow, but look at verse 4. It actually is God speaking to the people, and he's saying, This is to you exiles in Babylon, you followers of mine who haven't really followed me. This is the word I'm going to give you. So it's very clear. Second reason I want to share with you this morning, that God isn't promising them here in this chapter personal comfort or financial success. Now, most English translations of this verse use the word prosper. Maybe yours uses the word prosper. Some of them don't. It's a common English way of translating the word that's actually here in Hebrew, which is the word shalom. Maybe you've heard that in Jewish circles, the word shalom. That word means nothing, that word has nothing to do with personal comfort or financial success. Let me promise you. That word, we, that was one of the best words that in English we can translate it to. But the word shalom is far deeper than that. The word shalom has to, speaks to this deep sense of personal peace in life. It deals with the physical and the financial salvation of God. And it's a beautiful promise from God that he isn't abandoning them. And even though life is going to get really nasty for them for a time... They'll be able to find a sense of inner peace and security that only God can give. And so when he uses the word shalom here, it's not health and wealth and all your dreams will come true. It's, you can trust me, in the mess you're going to endure for this season. But here's the clincher of these reasons. Listen to this third reason. Jeremiah 29.11 wasn't a promise to the people that the letter was being written to back in that day. It wasn't for them either. You know who it was for? It was for the, the, verse 11 was for the people who would come who were descendants of theirs 70 years later. He was saying, this is what's going to happen 70 years from now. In other words, what God's saying is, yeah, you know what Hananiah said, two years? Uh Uh-uh. It isn't going to be two years. 70 years, God's saying. In other words, he's saying, you won't even be here anymore. You'll be long gone. But your descendants will receive the shalom, the blessings, the peace that you have looked for yourself. Is this making sense to you? You see, these false prophets were just hoping that everyone would believe them when they said that this whole mess would soon be over. And Jeremiah is telling them it isn't going to be over. The the terror, the the horrible situation you're in is just beginning. And then just before our greeting card verse in verse 11, look at verse 10. That's where it actually says it. You'll be there for 70 years. And the reason he says that, what you see in the verses after that, is Jeremiah's telling them, listen, it's going to be 70 years, so settle in here. Get used to this. You're going to die here, basically. So build your homes, 
plant your gardens, have kids. He even tells them, pray for your captors. That things would go better for you while you're here. Now, do you see why this wasn't good news to them or to you here today? Can you imagine how Jeremiah must have felt when God told him to give them this message? When they were just grasping at straws for some amount of hope, and then God says, Jeremiah, just rip it away from them. Needless to say, Jeremiah was not wildly wildly loved by his people. He was hated. He was forced from his home. He was imprisoned. In fact, at one point, God's people threw him in a mud pit. And historical accounts say that they later stoned him to death for the things that he said to them. And that's just it. God's plans for our lives aren't always what we want. They aren't always what we expect, nor are they always understood. As Scripture says so clearly, where God says, Your thoughts are not my thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. There are these times in our lives, guys, when we are like ants on the ground and we can't see the big picture. We can't see the bigger perspective no matter how hard we try. And in those moments, all we have that we can do is look up and trust. That's all we can do. You can count on the fact that when God says it, it's going to happen. God can always be trusted. And 70 years later, just as God promised, God sets them free from their captivity. Now, I apologize again if I burst some of your bubbles today. And you're thinking, boy, this Jeremiah 29, 11 verse that I've held on to so tightly, Dave, for all these years. You've just kind of ripped it away from me this morning. But I hope you will see this morning as we look at this verse that there are some things here that we can hang on to. There are some things that we're learning this morning that do apply to us. Let me, let me just share a few of those with you this morning. Number one, and this one is an important takeaway this morning, and that is that we can't go through Scripture and just cherry-pick out the little verses that we like and ignore the greater context. We have to recognize, just as we wouldn't want someone who, when, when we send them an email to take out one little sentence or phrase and, and bank their life on it, that we can't expect that from God's Word either. I mean, if we were to do that this morning for Jeremiah 29, 11, then wouldn't we want to do that for the whole chapter, right? Wouldn't we want to claim that whole chapter as a promise for ourselves? Would that mean that we would want to claim verses 18 and 19, which where God <laughs> promises famine, disease, and war? I mean, that's probably not what we want to sign up for, right? But there are a few other things here that I want to show you that do apply to our lives, that, that are really important reminders to us this morning. Here in this passage, what we are reminded is that God keeps his promises. And there can be serious consequences for our sinful actions that he might not spare us from. God had warned them over and over again to turn to him, and they refused. When you read the prophets of the Old Testament, you see them. I mean, Jeremiah was known as a weeping prophet, where he just cried out of the people and said, Please, Please don't keep going down this road. God is telling you if you keep going down this road, he's going to bring judgment. He's going to bring discipline. He's going to bring correction. And they just laughed and ignored him. And God is the one who keeps his promises. 
we're also reminded that when we set our hearts right and we seek God, we will always find him. And that's another beautiful truth from this passage. That God has the power to turn anyone's life around. The Bible as a whole brings clarity about our lives from Jeremiah 29 11 as well. We're reminded throughout Scripture that everyone's life has adversity at times. That includes those who follow Jesus. 2 Timothy 3 says, Everyone who wants to live a godly life will suffer persecution. Everyone. And get this, Philippians 1, God tells us that you, we should consider that a privilege. <laughs> Try to figure that one out. Proverbs 4, 18, God says, We all have a path laid before us. And nothing, according to Romans 8, nothing can come against us that is outside of that plan. The Bible says that all of us as followers of Jesus, followers of Jesus, have a hope and a future. One that we will all fully and ultimately expect after we breathe our last breath here on earth. God does know the plans for our lives, and they're not always what we want. Nor are they always ones we understand. But I hope you remember this morning, in those times of adversity that you face, when you want to go run to Jeremiah 29, 11, uh, and just kind of claim that verse, that you would remember more than anything else, God is a God I can trust. I may not always understand him. I may not always get what he's doing. I may not see the fuller perspective, but I know, I know I can trust him. God, has, you might remember in those moments... God has been faithful to me in the past. God has been there for me through thick and thin. Even when I've had to walk down some dark roads, God has never left me. God has grown me through those moments, and I can trust that whatever this is in front of me today, God is with me, and he won't leave me. That's a promise that we can hold on to. Sometimes God's plan is a long-term plan, and we can't see the purpose right in the middle of it. You know what? These people who were, who were people of Judah in this time, as they were in slavery, they, they had no idea what God could possibly do for their good in the midst of this situation. But looking back now, we can see many, many ways that God used this horrible circumstance for their good and for the good of those who were to come after them. One, re one thing in particular, the grip of idolatry that was over this nation for centuries... It was finally broken in this slavery in Babylon. They never turned back to those ancient gods of the people around them after this experience. Never did. Another thing that we see here as a result of what happened over those 70 years is that God establishes a presence among the Babylonians and even King Nebuchadnezzar, this pagan king of Babylon, becomes a believer in God. Judaism, as a result of this, becomes a worldwide religion for the very first time. And God brings his follower Daniel to a position of power and influence right in the middle of this foreign kingdom. And he uses Daniel and other prophetic voices of his day to bring future plans, God's future plans, to the whole world. Sometimes it is really hard to accept God's plans, but the truth is, God wants us to remain faithful and trust him even in times of waiting and hardship. The story of Jeremiah 29 actually has led me in recent weeks to ask myself, could I serve with the same love, the, the same passion, 
the same intensity if I were faced with that future like they were? Could I trust God? Could I continue to seek God with all of my heart if I knew I was going to spend my dying days as a slave in a foreign land? What do you think? Could you? Who do you tend to put your faith and trust in? Yourself or your God? Whose plans do you really want? Do you want your plans or God's plans? Will you choose to continue following his plan, even if that plan starts to look daunting, if it starts to look scary, and if it doesn't look like anything that you've written in your journal about what your life's going to look like five years from now? Or do you really need it to turn out that way? Sometimes our plans, despite how much we pray over them, despite how much time we spend convincing God of them, sometimes God has a better plan. Sometimes that plan makes absolutely no sense. It just makes us want to throw up our hands. But in those moments, I pray that you will trust, that you will just be locked in, refusing to doubt in your Creator, the one who loves you far more than you'll ever understand. I'll close with this. In my office, if you've actually been down this wing of the building, you might have seen a picture of Rembrandt hanging there. It's my favorite painting that he's ever done. I once heard it explained that during this life, we are like ants crawling across one of Rembrandt's beautiful paintings. We crawl across the dark brown and we think that all of life is dark brown. And then we hit a green patch and we think, oh, life is better. Everything's fine now. And then, just as we get used to that, we hit another patch of brown or or black. One day, God will finish that painting. One day, we will realize that God was painting a masterpiece of our lives all along. And we were right on top of it and couldn't really see what it was. We will learn one day that there was a plan for each and every color in that painting of your life. Every one of them had a reason. Nothing was out of place. I want you to know this morning. I want us as a community to remember this morning to never let this promise go. Our God is a God who can be trusted. Period. In good times and in bad times, our God is one we can trust. I want us to know that deep down in our gut because guess what? When we're in our community and someone is hurting and struggling, they don't need pithy pithy sayings to make them feel better. They need someone who will walk the walk with them, who will say, yeah, been there, done that. I will walk with you. But, But even better, I know a God who will walk with you even through this. That's a promise worth holding on to. Would you pray with me? Lord, I, <laughs> I feel kind of bad this morning as I'm starting this series and I'm kind of starting on a note where I've taken a verse that, that I have held on to for a long time. Very, it's very precious to me and many of us have and I've set it in a different light. But Lord, I know that more than anything else, you don't want us to have false views of you. You want us to have views of you that are accurate. You want to be understood. 
And God, I pray this morning that each of us, we've come to a better understanding of who you are and what you want for us. Even in the midst of some of the challenging situations, the adversity that we've encountered in life. Lord, in those moments, you haven't turned a blind eye. You haven't done an oops on us. You're not scrambling to try to fix things for us because you took your hands off the wheel. But Lord, in the midst of that, you are basically painting the dark strokes onto the masterpiece of our canvas. God, I pray that in those moments when we are feeling that pressure, when we're feeling that stress, that adversity, that we would picture that painting that you are making of our lives. And that you would give us a sense of hope, of shalom, of deep inner peace that no storm is going to blow us off course they're all temporary and they're all going to be used for your glory in some way that we can't understand God I pray for each person in this room who is facing trial today those who have gotten bad news from a doctor or has a loved one who has those who are dealing with loved ones who are estranged, relationships that are broken, those who have lost uh, their jobs here or feel underemployed and are struggling to try to figure out how to make ends meet. God, in those moments, I pray that the word trust would just keep jumping off the page at us. Lord, I want to pray for each person in this room this morning who has had a difficult time trusting you. Maybe even having a difficulty in just trusting you to be their Savior and their Lord. Maybe you've been, you're here this morning and you're like, well, if God's going to allow this to happen, that I can't trust him. I hope today that you've seen a different perspective and that today would be the day that you would actually place your faith and trust in Him. Maybe you've trusted in Him in years past and you've walked away from it because life dealt you a bad hand. What would it look like for you to come back to Christ this morning and to place your trust squarely on Him? If that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me in the silence of your heart. Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I confess that I need you. God, I know that things aren't in this life aren't going to always go my way. Lord, I have plans for my life, and I want you to do those. But Lord, this morning I'm recognizing that my plans will be secondary to yours, especially if I place my faith and trust in you. And so God, this morning, that is what I'm doing. I'm giving you all of it, not just the parts that I want, but all of it. I ask that you would lead me from this day forward. God, I confess my sins to you, all of those things I've done that's broken your heart. I ask that you would forgive me of those as I confess that Christ is my Savior and Lord who died on a cross so that I can live. God, I ask that you would begin to do a work in my heart and life and begin to change me starting today. God, make me into that woman or that man of God that you've always wanted me to be. God, I give you full control from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.